This live episode of the Flush Podcast is brought to you by Walton's Aluma Trailers, North Dakota Tourism, Federal Ammunition, Onyx Hunt, and my Nutrisource Pet Foods. Today we're hosting another live show at Bear Cave Brewing in Hopkins, Minnesota. The one and only Ron Chera is my guest. We'll share a few of our favorite stories from an excellent hunting season so far. Plus, we'll share lessons that those elusive birds have taught us. Hopefully, it'll help you become better hunters. You want to fire this up, Brandon? Oh, we're live. All right. We're live. There we go. All right. There we go. Welcome to another live episode of the Flush Podcast. I'm Travis Frank. I'm your host. Right next to me here, the one and only Mr. Ron Shera. Legend in his own mind. Legend in his own mind. And a couple of other minds in the building tonight. They've already come up and introduced themselves to you. You're a star. Hey, listen, we have one rule tonight. What's that? Because uh, I... Ran into some of our podcast listeners a couple weeks ago in South Dakota, and they both, uh, or maybe more than two, said to me, why is Travis always picking on you? And so I said, because I don't know, because I never pick on you. You you know that. And so uh, there's no picking on me tonight. I promise I won't. I just, I'm glad that you came out. I know you don't like to drive at night, so it's good that you made it out here safely. On these dark roads tonight, and we will make sure you make it back. I just said, don't pick on me. (laughs) Okay. All right. We are at Bear Cave Brewing in Hopkins, Minnesota. Many uh, pheasant hunters are in the audience tonight. There may be a few non-hunters in the audience tonight. Oh, we got a hand up over there. We are recording an episode of the Flush Podcast. This is a national podcast because all podcasts are national. Anybody that wants to listen to them anywhere can. But we're in Hopkins, Minnesota tonight. We Tell just, them how to, how to listen to it if they want to later. If they're listening to this right now, Ron, they already know how to well, do it. Well, what if they want? What if they want to listen to it again? Um, they're shaking their heads. No, now. they got a bunch of no's. Well, that says a lot. Well, all right, Ron. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to you. We are fresh off of the first holiday in the holiday season. Did you have any Thanksgiving traditions that you kept this year? Uh, no, uh, we tried a Thanksgiving tradition, uh, you know, I'm a turkey hunting nut, so uh, early on, many, many years ago, I uh, felt it was only right and uh, historically correct to have a wild turkey as uh, on the Thanksgiving table, although there's still historically some question if turkeys were ever on the first Thanksgiving table, by the way. Um, but uh, that uh, I wasn't there, neither were you, so we can't answer that. You, you, you actually did a story, I want to say last year or the year before, where you dove into the history of the turkey, and yeah. I remember you said that, but I don't remember what they think might have been the first protein. Well, probably the first venison meat. and duck. Not turkey. Not tur- well, they don't know, but turkey wasn't mentioned. Um, but uh, logically, turkey was probably part of the first. Anyway, so... Uh, what you discover is a wild turkey is a wonderful bird. The wild turkey is a good tasting meat, but it's a wild bird, mm-hmm. and it's very dry. It's you, much different than the Genio turkey that you buy at the exactly. store. Yes, and it's uh, very dry. And if you don't cook it right, um, 
you're going to have a rough time chewing it versus the domestic turkey, which is uh, nice and fat. And, and uh, so uh, the tradition of having wild turkey kind of went away. Really? Well, actually, I've got a book here that one of our guests tonight in the audience brought. It's called Red, White, and Everything Else. And he's sitting here. Tim is his name. I want to have Tim Kraske come up. Tim, I'll have you come up in just a little bit. I've got some questions for you about this, this book that you wrote and about your role at Pheasants Forever because I met you last year and you're doing a lot of great things. But Ron, you just came off of a bird hunting bender, I will call it. For you, like three straight weeks, you were in Minnesota, because I was there, I know you were out there. Uh, but then also you spent two weeks in South Dakota. Yeah, uh, we got to South Dakota, Eureka, South Dakota. Uh, a, a, a huge rain, freezing rainstorm hit there on Thursday. We showed up on Friday. And the rain was so, the ice was so thick on the grass so thick everywhere on the trees, et cetera, et cetera. Um, miserable hunting conditions, to make a long story short. And all of the wonderful grassland that's out there uh, was unhuntable, and the birds didn't want to be in it Was it just either. laid flat? Well, pretty much laid flat. If it wasn't flat, it was hanging full of ice. It was um, not the kind of things you were looking for, let's yeah. put it that way. You, you dream of those golden grass yeah. hunts where you're walking, and you well, didn't have that. And the temperature was, uh, you know, 15, well, zero in, in the morning, maybe got up to 15 during the day. And that was okay if the wind wasn't blowing, but South Dakota, you know, wind blows. It wasn't great. Um, actually, what I found out, Travis, is that when you face that kind of weather... Yeah. Uh, when you look at what the temperature is, you stand, step outside and you see the wind blowing and you say, this is awful, awful, awful. Thinking about it is worse than doing it. Sure. Once you get out there, if you're dressed right, etc., cetera, uh, you say, okay, I, I'm out there. Yeah. I got it. I, I did it. So thinking about it is worse than actually being out there. And that's a lesson you have to kind of repeatedly learn mm -hmm. because I've learned it before. But anyway... Uh, most of the birds, um, like I said, didn't want to be in the grassland, so they were uh, in the cattail marshes or they were in food plots. Some of these food plots out there go a quarter of a mile long, and um, a sorghum mostly, grain sorghum, and, and so they were there. And um, but they're you know, you made so much noise walking uh, if you didn't have some blockers, if you didn't weren't quiet. It was tough to get close to them. And uh, a lot of food plots are in a big strip on either side is uh, picked uh, or harvested soybeans. Mm -hmm. Well, all that rain on the soybean fields made a soybean field like an ice skating rink. Serious. Have you ever hunted in conditions like it? If I did, I wanted to forget it. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think so. Um, if I had my druthers, I wouldn't have. But, you know, we had a whole bunch of guests there yeah. for the Hank Hunt and a few other things. So, uh, yeah, it well, was... I, I want to ask you about the Hank Hunt in a second here. But first, for everyone that's listening right now, if you have questions or stories we want to include you into this podcast, there's a microphone just like the one that we are wearing, Ron and I. It's on this chair right here. Come up, say your name, ask a question. We've got a bunch of items here. Take some of this stuff home with you tonight. Uh, we're all... Very glad that you came out tonight to hang out with us. Uh, we do want to hear from you. We love hearing other people's stories. I enjoy heckling Ron and hearing his stories a lot. 
but I'd rather hear from some of you. So please, <clears throat> now Ron, back to you. Um, what, how, why did you agree to host the Hank Hunt this year? This was Scott's brainchild. Well, I like the idea, you know. Uh, when ravens were alive, I adored my dogs. You adore yours, and the Hank Hunt uh, was a great concept that Scott Franson came up with, uh, gathering fellow pheasant hunters, uh, bird hunters, who relished their dogs, both living and dead. And uh, don't we all? Yeah. And uh, Hank was a, was a yellow lab that died prematurely at like the age of five. And uh, uh, so Scott came up with the idea of calling it Hank Hunt, gathering uh, fellow hunters from who, who shared uh, the passion for their dogs and their memories. For this second Hank Hunt, Travis, we had two hunters from Indiana. Okay. We had one hunter that drove all the way from California. Really? We had a hunter from, uh, 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 from Texas and from uh, his twin brother from Alabama who drove all the way up. We had a hunter from uh, western Iowa uh, who drove up. We had uh, a husband and wife from uh, Wisconsin that drove there uh, to be part of the Hank Hunt. And... Um, uh, it opened my eyes to a couple of things. One, the passion that a lot of people have for upland bird hunting, maybe especially pheasants. Uh, you know, you and I live Minnesota, not bad pheasant hunting. We're next to the mecca of pheasant hunting, mm -hmm. South Dakota, Nebraska, etc. So you kind of take things for granted. Some of these people having an invitation to come to South Dakota for the Hank hunt is is is. Uh, you know, they couldn't pass that up. Yeah. And um, that opened my eyes to uh, just the passion that some of these people have. Even our, our podcast, you know, that's what I say. One of the things I heard out there on the, from people that listen to, the, uh, to our Flush podcast said, uh, Travis has to stop picking on you. And so I totally agreed <laughs> with that. But I anyway, But uh, anyway, it was... Um, I agreed to write, uh, do it because I like to write, and uh, and I think uh, Scott's plan is to uh, next year you or Bill Shirk will will write the next one. Um, anyway, that was about. Um, do you feel like, given the conditions, the ice storm that they were hunting in versus the golden grass that they envisioned walking, did it ruin that experience for them, or did they? kind of cherish having to battle such cold temperatures to get birds. Well, I don't, I don't think any of us would have chosen that weather. So yeah. if you say, did it ruin it? Uh, in some ways it did. On the other hand, I've seen this too. When a group of hunters are facing uh, stress, uh, facing the elements, there is a bonding thing that happens because the cold doesn't favor anybody out mm -hmm. there. Uh, the wind uh, doesn't uh, freeze my face, but not your face. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I don't know. I saw some of the pictures. I couldn't even see your face, Ron. I just saw little, little clips of your eyes. There was a reason for that. There was a reason for that. But so anyway, no, that wasn't the weather we would have chosen at, at all. But you're thrown into that, and you got to do it. The only thing I'm saying is, the year before that, I did a flush episode in South Dakota, and I hunted in a, in a damn blizzard with the wind, <laughs> snow coming down sideways. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, uh, but yeah, you can't choose your weather, you, uh, and so you do what 
you do what you can and try to dress for it. Yep. Any feedback that you received from our guests on that hunt that you think could help us as we plan for hopefully next season, next year's fang hunt? No, I tell you, um, Scott Franson's uh, sister uh, was the chef there. She's an amazing chef. Isn't she amazing? She is, but uh, the only suggestion we had was those people who have been to the Hank Hunt in the past want to keep coming. And so the idea was, let's have a Hank Hunt for uh, veterans and then have a Hank Hunt for uh, new folks coming. Oh, veterans so, meaning people that have already been before? Yeah, so uh, I don't know where that's going to go. I think go. you got a full-time fall gig yeah, lined you, up here. You and I will be doing Hank Hunts next year for All weeks and weeks All 13 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I'm, I'm happy that you had a good experience, but you've hunted pheasants in South Dakota for many, many years. Granted, the conditions weren't what you typically like to see when you're out there, but you obviously got birds. What did you see out there that was maybe encouraging as far as bird numbers this year? How does it rank from past hunts? Well, was, you know, the weather didn't allow that kind of a... You couldn't get a fair estimate? No. Um, uh, you know, I'm always looking for grassland because that's what peasants need. Uh, where we were at was a lot of grassland there, but the guy uh, owned the land, and that's, he set it up that way. Um, um, so I kind of look at that. I because um, if you don't have the habitat, you don't have the birds, and uh, the other part of it, the weather was such that you could drive back, and I'm always looking for birds, and you couldn't find any because they of the weather. They, were they weren't out. Yeah. So well, I I, I have no idea. We've, I've heard a few stories tonight before we started recording about some people claiming that this is some of the best pheasant hunting that they've seen in South Dakota, and this past weekend. It was 57. Do you want to give Ron an update on what things are looking like out there now that you've been back? Come on up. You can just put that headset on right there. Say your name and where you were hunting and what, uh, what brought you out tonight, maybe? Well, anybody, gotta... Travis, anybody can find birds and shoot birds when it's uh, 57 degrees out there. <laughs> oh, he pushed the mic down. <laughs> well... We're on both sides of him now, so he's in <laughs> yeah, trouble. Yeah, he's stuck. I'm stuck. He's stuck. <laughs> well, okay, you, you, have, you live in Minnesota, but you have land in South Dakota. Correct. First, before we get there, name, please? Clayton Carls. Okay, Clayton. Thanks for coming out tonight. Oh, I love it. it but uh, how long have you had, had land in South Dakota, and what are you seeing right now on the ground for birds? Uh, this is the 12th year I've had it, uh, with no winter last year and actually a drought this year. The birds just took off because there was no rain over nesting time. And yep. um, they just need a few bugs and a little dew. And they, I'm going to grab they, this from you here so it doesn't rub on the mic. There you go. This is probably in 12 years the best year I've seen out there. Okay. Whereabouts in South Dakota? Uh, it's called a little town called Howard, South Dakota. And did you have the ice that covered had, everything too? We had no ice. They don't even have any snow out there right now. But so, did you before? No. So it no. missed. What was the swath that, that came through? Farther north, I believe, where you had the ice storm. Yeah, where were you at again? Howard, South Dakota. Howard? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, you said this is the best you've probably seen in 12 years. That's as yes. long as you've been running yes. land out there. Yeah. Um, what's it like for you to, or how often do you get out and hunt out there and then manage the property? And how much of your property are you able to manage for wildlife? Well, I'll tell you, it's, it's really nice meeting South Dakota people. 
because we have a farmer right down the road, and he's a super fun guy, and he does our food plots for us, hays for us, and does stuff like that, and it's just generated the bird population. Around. We only hunt it maybe four times a year, five times a year, um, but it's just phenomenal. I love seeing a lot of birds. You don't have to shoot them all, mm-hmm. you know, but you love seeing that there's hens, there's roosters, there's deer, everything's, you know, just... Uh, producing themselves very well on that property. Wonderful. And who brought you out here tonight? Because I see a, a my lovely wife actually, lady here. My wife actually saw this online or something and said, uh, um, I said, yeah, let's go do that. That'd be a blast. And we invited some friends with us. And he pheasant hunts also. Wonderful. You know, I guess if, if you way he shoots, if you can call it pheasant hunting, but you know, he's 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 an okay guy. See, Ron, that's the whole point. We gotta heckle each other. <laughs> well, he's, he's grinning. Out I'm, there. I'm waiting for him to tell us the the GPS coordinates to your place. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> There's a bunch of others out here right, waiting to write them down. <laughs> yeah. You know, that is that is funny because you can be in a, a little zone area and there's pheasants. You can go 10 miles a different direction. You go, where are all the pheasants? Okay. They're not there. I've got one question before you, you leave mm-hmm. here. Ron, this is for, for you and Clayton for you. This uh, came in today from Doug Davis. I've personally never hunted wild pheasant. I've hunted them on preserves. I'm sure that is not the same. I mostly hunt quail in Arizona. I know you all love to hunt pheasants. I've watched you all on the flush hunting them. I've watched you all hunt them in blizzard conditions, like you were just saying, Ron. Snow up to your knees in freezing temperatures. What is it about these birds that make you want to hunt in such terrible conditions? Well, it's my job. (laughs) 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 Well, you got to do what you got to do in the season uh, when you're out there, you know. uh, uh, But the pheasant... Well, I don't put down any game bird because uh, quail are in their own right are unique, rough grouse, et cetera, et cetera. But the ringneck pheasant is uh, one of our most successful uh, alien uh, introductions into America. A beautiful bird by any imagination, uh, hardy, uh, survival. Uh, people underestimate their hearing, et cetera. But he asked about the wild versus uh, pen-raised birds. I never put down pen-raised birds. For one thing, they fly, they die, they taste good. But uh, pen-raised birds are, are a great training ground for, for dogs, a great training ground for young hunters to go to a shooting preserve, etc. Is there a difference? Yeah, but I, I've also noticed when uh, some places in South Dakota, when they put pen-raised birds out, uh, they kind of uh, scatter them periodically. When they are out there with truly wild birds, a pen-raised birds soon learn to be kind of like their wild brothers and sisters. So, uh, uh, but nevertheless, there there is a difference. But let me tell you, <clears throat> you bring a lot of guys who aren't familiar with hunting pheasants. Bring them later in the season, and if South Dakota didn't seed some of these fields because they hunt them almost a couple times every week. Yep. Nobody would get one because a, a wild bird is going to, you know, the guys get out of the trucks, they slam the car door, they yell at their dogs, they shout rooster, rooster. I've seen it happen a quarter of a mile away. The wild birds are leaving. Mm-hmm. And then, like I say, you're not going to get close to them. So uh, the South Dakota outfitters have to seed these fields so that when you walk through them, uh, you're going to have some luck. Yeah. And it's interesting. Some people will say we, those are all wild birds out there. Some landowners in South Dakota won't plant any, and they are all wild birds. Some do, 
and tell you that they don't, but you can tell the difference. You can, but, yeah. but uh, you know, I don't like splitting hairs here because, like I said, pen-raised ones fly, die. Tastes they good. taste good. Um, and uh, if, if you went out there, if you spent a lot of money, from, you come from Illinois, you come out there in the early November, late November, and, uh, and all the wild birds are way a quarter of a mile ahead of you there, uh, it's not much fun. But then when you get one, isn't it just that much more rewarding? No. No. <laughs> That's how we differ. It's rewarding I still, when you get three. I still have, yes, exactly. Why do you go out now when it's terrible? Clean? Well, I enjoy the excitement of it, but you get out with, with a friend maybe you haven't seen in three or four months, and you have a hunting trip, and you have a blast. You catch mm -hmm. up, you have a lunch after you've hunted, and you go out, you maybe have a few cocktails that evening, and you have a great dinner sitting around talking about and bullshitting, like, you know, and giving Ron grief if he was sitting there. But it's, it's more, it's, that's just a third of it, hunting. Yeah. I love it, but I love to watch my dog. I love to go out with friends. I love the dinner that night and the drinks we have, and we have a blast. So one thing that we've always done, Ron, and you are the king of this, and I love it. Every time we go on a hunting or fishing trip, at the end of the day, we have a story time at dinner. And we usually have an award that we hand out. Sometimes it's for the best fish or the best, whoever shot the best or something like that. And to me, that's one of the best parts of the whole oh. experience is, is after the fact. Ron, you're the king at giving people a hard time, which is why you can't give me a hard time for giving you a hard time because you give it way more than you get it. And well, you lost me there. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> uh, we got Bobby Camaro over here that you were heckling before the show even started. Rob, do you have any favorite Ron moments that you can tell us right now? Come on up here. Yeah, come on up. Take, please, uh, Clayton, take, a, take an you. item, a hat, one of these books, something to your lovely bride for bringing thank, you out here tonight, please. Take yes, one thank for you. your, Great your buddies there. you guys. And tell your wife to not give up cooking these pheasants because they're really good. Yeah, we're going to get into that. we got a book right here. It's going to teach you exactly how to do it. Walton's has been one of our best supporters, and I'm forever grateful for that. Brett Walton and his boys and John Tremblay, the whole family there at Walton's, they work to provide everything that we need to prepare and process our wild game. And right now, I'm told that they're running a Black Friday sale and more sales leading up to Christmas. If you order anything on their site, over 5,000 items, by the way, it ships the same day. Anything from seasonings and spices to stuffers and grinders, mixers, everything but the meat. They've got it. And right now, They've got it on sale, making it even better. If there's anything you might need for yourself or that hunter or angler in your life, odds are they've got it. Check out Waltons.com. The flush. So fast, it hardly seems real. So vivid, the moment freezes in time before erupting in a blur of spurs and feathers. It's why we changed the way upland loads are built with Prairie Storm. Exclusive flight control FlexWad technology and a mix of copper-plated lead and flight stopper pellets combine to create dense, deadly shot strains through any choke. Longer shots, more power, fewer missed birds. Only from Federal. The Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day. I use it on every hunt. Seriously, every hunt. Their app tells me everything I need to know about the lands that I want to hunt and the lands that we can all legally hunt on. The app also shows your location on planet Earth and clearly lays out the land boundaries. 
It tells you information about the type of property you're on, like state land or federal lands or walk-in access properties. It's ideal for scouting before the hunt and during a hunt to help put together patterns. The app also has helpful features that show you the kind of crops that are in fields, which obviously is a big deal for us upland bird hunters. And there's a timber cut layer to help you find the right forest habitat for rough grouse. If you hunt in North Dakota, there's even a layer that lets you know if a property has been posted electronically. These are just a few of the many tools Onyx apps give you. And these maps can even be used in areas without cell coverage. From the palm of your hand, Onyx Maps always help you to know where you stand. Bobby Camaro, welcome to the show. <laughs> it's great to be here. <laughs> you always heckle Scott when he's on the show. Now you're finally here. I'm shocked he's not here. He loves to listen to himself talk, so I just sent him a text. <laughs> so surprised he it. and Bill aren't here at all. So yeah. I just add one thing, too. You're talking about the bad weather. But with, with uh, a lot of people plan their pheasant trips early on, and they yeah. have to pick a date. And you pick your date, and you got to live with it. So if you get stuck with bad weather, you get stuck with bad weather, you don't have a choice. Sure. And with the hunting lodges filling up over the last couple of years during COVID, it's you pick your date, you go, and hey, if it's snowing, you're snowing. It's, you know, we've all been there. So You were out there with, with Ron this last oh, yeah. week. Yeah. Uh, got to give us some dirt. What favorite it's, Ron It's always moment? the highlight of my year. Yeah. You know, when I get to fish with Ron or if I get to hunt with Ron. So You're an honest man. You know that? <laughs> so I'll tell you, and I, I can't remember if I told this story or not, but we're in western Minnesota, Ron and I, and we never get to hunt together because no. you're always filming, I'm always filming. We have the same role in the show, so we try to maximize our time. But we got to hunt together for the first time, and we were with Scott. So we're just doing what Scott wants, you know? And so we're walking and walking and walking and, and walking, walking and walking. And then finally we get to the golden hour. We wait all day for it. We still don't have a bird in the pouch, but we're walking and walking. And Scott says, Ron, you go down. You see that tree down there at the end of the field? You go there. We're going to take a big loop around this whole field. We're going to bring it right to you. So we, Ron goes one way. I go my way with Bill and Scott. And the plan was just coming together. It was going to be perfect. We get to this tree, and the birds erupt, and they erupt, and they're <laughs> flying, awesome. and there's no shots fired. And we're like, what the heck? We get just over the crest of this hill, and there's Ron, 200 yards east of the tree. Where he was Not, supposed to be. Yeah, from where he was supposed to be. <clears throat> so all the birds go sailing into this other grass, no shots fired yet. I end up getting one. Right before dark. It was and it. at night, I won the trophy. And the only reason I, run, I won the trophy is because Ron didn't follow the rules and go <laughs> to the tree. Had he gone to the tree, he'd have gotten his limit, yeah. maybe another limit, everyone's limit he could have filled out. Well, that's your side of the story. <laughs> my side of the story is it's not my first, as you like to say, rodeo. Sure. I looked at the wind, etc. I said, those birds are wanna go, they don't want to go off the end of the trees. If they come out at all, they're going to want to go to the left here because that's where more cover for them. And uh, why would they want to go that way? So I figured I'm going to stay back a little bit here because if I got up those trees, anyway, uh, it was a wrong move. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> It's so it was the wrong thing to do. Maybe that's part of why you keep going back out there, too. I, I personally think that's a big reason why you keep going back out there. I just hunted two, it's, what is it, Wednesday night tonight, Brandon? Wednesday night, okay. So on Monday, I hunted in uh, Brown County, Minnesota. Thank you, Tim. 
Tim is a guest here. He's got a couple, I've got a couple questions for him. But I, I didn't know it at the time, Tim, but I was only one mile from your property where we were hunting. We were filming uh, part of a flesh episode, and it's uh, trampled by pheasants. We were with Dave Simonet from Trampled by Turtles and Bob St. Pierre and Matt Kaharski from Pheasants Forever. Part of the partnership that they've created with Trampled by Turtles is called Trampled by Pheasants. Anyway, we were hunting on Matt's property. Matt has 150 acres, okay? That's... And depending on where you hunt, maybe that's a pretty good-sized chunk. Maybe that's tiny if you hunt in Montana where there's thousands of acres. But anyway, we're on 150 acres, and we start hunting at 9 a.m. Actually, no, 10. We got hunting around 10 a.m. By lunchtime at, like, 12.30, we never had a single bird for four guys. We had one shot. We saw, I think, maybe five or six other birds that got up at a distance. And Matt was just shaking his head. He, was, he hadn't hunted out there for, since opening day, and there were a lot of birds out there. And we hadn't seen hardly anything. Okay. By the time we left that property at 4 p.m., we didn't hunt till dark. We were done by 4. All four of us each took our two roosters, which is the Minnesota limit. Any guess as to how many miles my dog ran on that 150 acres, Ron? No, but what's your point here? You got she nothing ran, by noon. She ran 23. I don't care how far your dog went. She ran 23 and a half miles. Wow. And we hunted the exact same spot, sometimes what five were or six what, times. What were the do pheasants doing that you couldn't find any the it's first like few they were. It's like they were coming out of the ground in front of us. We would oh, walk. That's a new theory. I know. But they're, they're still pretty smart. They are, but they here's the thing. We didn't watch them fly in. Robbie, we they, should have uh, dug, uh, got a shovel and looked under there. There's a, lot, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of lessons to be learned here. That's why I'm bringing up this story. Every time we walked the same spot, we found more birds than the time before, and they were holding even tighter. We had beautiful points, dog, or birds flushing inches from our dog's nose. And that was sometimes the fourth or fifth time we had walked through that exact same spot in the field. Birds were just showing up all day long. The more we hunted it, the better it got. How many times have you hunted wild birds on a property that size? It doesn't happen very often, but it's a lesson that I think hunters should take. Because what would you normally do when you walk a field? How often do you ever walk it twice? Be honest. Well, I, what the birds... You, you got to figure out what they were doing. They were running around you, I think. Uh, it wasn't like they were there and then they weren't there. They were running around you, and so you... Here's what happens. A lot of times, a group of guys will start off like a marching band, go this way, then uh, this way, and then this way. And um, uh, pheasants, uh, well, they're over there. So, uh, so they run... Especially if I'm by myself or just a, two, two of us, I never walk in a straight line. Because the birds are, I, I want to confuse those roosters as much as anything, so they don't know where I'm at, and uh, and so that's my theory. When especially when they're running around you, because hundred and some acres is still a lot of land. It is a lot of land. Yeah. Uh, we had one, two, three, four. We had five dogs with us, and we, I mean, it was it was a very good lesson, and I I bring it up because I think the rest of this season people don't realize how often they walk past the birds that they're trying to get. Well, and, but Travis, but, you may not have walked past them. They ran out of your path. Could have been. Yeah. Could have been. But I mean, you got the, this pointer. I mean, those pointers don't miss much. 
Well, she's, I would, I keep her in, you know, when we're in these marching band lines, like you call, you, you know, my dog, she wants to go, she's on a trail of a bird. And if it was just me and her, I'd let her go. And I, she would eventually hopefully pin the bird, not flush it, hopefully pin it. And then I'd go, you know, dogs on point two twenty five. That's not a big deal, but I can't break a line. We got cameras, we got, you know, everything happening here. So we're not going to do that. So I'm keeping her in check, but she would still range at about a hundred yards and Bob's got beautiful pointers and they were ranging. And it was, I guess what I'm getting at is every time we came back through these properties and we did zigzags, we did figure eights through the fields, more birds every single time. Very valuable lesson. We all just kind of were, in, we're all seasoned hunters, but we all took from that, that if you said at lunchtime that day that we would all have our vest full and plenty of other birds that we didn't take a shot at, we'd have said, no way. But the reality is, I think 99% of the times, we'd have gotten the truck and drove to the next property. You, you don't give it that time. And Tim, when we were talking here, Tim, do you want to come up here? Now's a good opportunity. I'll just, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'm going to get out of here so Tim can talk, but I didn't get a chance to actually hunt with Ron in South Dakota a few weeks ago. Oh, so I was in a different group, thing. but when I came back for lunch the first day, he couldn't wait to tell me he got his limit. So I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, Ron, my, my, but Tim gets this mic on. I'm going to tell you guys my other favorite moment from this season hunting with Ron was... We had hunted that first day, and I did get that bird. Bless you for not going where you were supposed to because, um, you know, I won the award that night. But the next night, we went to a new spot, and the birds were plentiful, and I watched you pull up and take aim and drop a beautiful rooster. And I could see the, the twinkle in your eyes, Ron. It was beautiful to see because I never get to hunt with you. And then just as fast, it went to just head down and we were both bummed because we couldn't find the bird and we looked and we looked and we looked and there was just this moment of are we gonna give up here and at that very moment right between you and I was your beautiful rooster and then the twinkle came back and Ron sure was happy Ron again well when you miss as much as I do <laughs> you actually were probably the best shot on that Scott uh, would tell you he would tell everybody that he was the best shot on that but I'm gonna give it to you no that's all right thank you yeah. uh, but Getting back to your story, you already mentioned that you didn't stop doing those straight line things. Mm -hmm. Two things, I've said this before on a podcast, two things that we tend to underestimate with a ringneck peasant. One, its sense of hearing yep. is awesome. Awesome. And uh, the other is their, uh, their sense of uh, uh, their ability to run. And they can really r cover a lot of ground. We tend to not think that they do that we tend to think the same thing with quail and rough grouse, who also are great runners, mm -hmm. but we don't think of them that a way. pheasant's last resort is to fly. Yes. The very last thing it wants to do. Tim, well, you and I were talking before. Tim Kraske, welcome to the show. Thanks for driving out here tonight. Thanks, Travis. The one thing you didn't mention was to the west, just over those trees, yep. is about 100 acres of food plot. Yep. So a I was going to get to that, but I was waiting birds, for you to come up A here. lot of the birds probably in the morning and to midday we're over there and they're coming back to the grass to roost so in the afternoon you had the optimal conditions good point very good i, I know some hunters that live in good bird country that don't or good pheasant country i'll say they don't go out until the afternoon because a lot of those birds are out there in the corn they're not in the grass where everyone's walking around which i think is a good reminder for people if you're hunting a lot of public ground or ground that gets hunted pretty hard you can watch people go in and walk through this piece and most of them will say wow that's already been hunted i'm not going to go out there and waste my time 
But what I'm trying to get at is you're not necessarily missing the time that you want to be there. It's a good lesson. It's a yeah. valuable lesson. Sometimes they fly in and land. Sometimes they run in. And I, the other thing about in the golden hour, I don't know if it's just this bird has just been eating all day and they don't want to get up. They don't want to run. But the, the, the flushes tend to be real close. You tend to have better hunting as the day wears on. And the wind dies down usually too. Yeah. So you don't have that wind. It's just like that yeah. last hour, there's almost like when it dies down, it's like perfect. That is. Tim, you have land in Brown County. Obviously, you, were, you have property near us. What has your hunting season been like out in that area? And well, that would be for people outside of Minnesota, kind of west, southwest Minnesota. Yeah, so Brown County, you think of New Ulm and Sleepy Eye. Those are kind of the two central cities of Brown County. We're south and west of the Minnesota River. And, you know, we fortunately, if you ever look at the Minnesota DNR map every year where it's, you know, talks about pheasant numbers. Yep. Where the brown is where the highest numbers are. Well, Brown County is brown always. Yep. Well, there's a reason because the habitat is there. Okay. And people don't realize also we have 30 WMAs or WPAs in Brown County. We have, I think it's like 130,000 acres of CRP. So there's a lot of habitat. And that's not just for pheasants, that's for turkeys, deer, and everything else. Yeah. And I'll add, that same piece of property, opening weekend of dove season, Brandon's sitting over there. He knows. We sat over there in that hole and shot our little... You hunted Matt's property? We, we, yeah, we shot, shoot doves there. Oh, yeah. It was so an old... It's, it's an, an old, old gravel pit. Gravel pit, that's right. So yeah. we, we shot our limited doves that morning, and... You know what? You, the most humbling experience to anybody who's a hunter is to hunt doves. Amen to that. For every five shots, you might get one. Yep. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> so, Tim, I met you last year. You, uh, you wrangled me into emceeing your Pheasants Forever banquet. You are the president? I am the president of the Brown County chapter okay. of Pheasants Forever. Gotcha. How many projects have you been a part of then on the land that, since you've been involved with Pheasants Forever that you've seen? And how many have you hunted? Oh God, I can't. It's that's hard to put a number to. Yeah. So I mean, we're we're involved. So one of the things Brown County did, and a couple other counties have done it. Uh, Nobles County with you know Scott Rawl. Yep. And Ken Reed, you know, up in uh, Pine County. Okay. Ken and I went to high school together. It's a little long story short, but uh, we did the adopt a WMA program with the DNR. So our chapter adopted all the WMAs in Brown County. I mean, the DNR doesn't have the staff to maintain these. So we as an organization said, okay, rather than just acquire land, we already have a lot of land. Let's figure out also how to maintain, maintain what you it have. Yeah. and improve it. Keep the you know, people from dumping garbage on it, clean up the barbed wire, plant you know, habitat, clean up noxious weeds. That happens, by the way, going back, that happens way more than it should ever happen. How do you explain the trash that, you, that people dump in the middle of... People don't realize. We put game cameras out now and catch them. Do you really? Absolutely. We turn their ass in it. and get them a ticket, and they won't do it again. I love it. What's the worst thing you've seen dumped? The worst is mattresses. You yeah. know, you know, people dump mattresses. I've seen television machines. Those old TVs. You know, stuff yeah. like that. And like, you know, and most people are pretty good about, you know, turning people in as well. You know, we got the, road out, the word out that says, hey, look, we're not going to tolerate it. You know, and so we, like, the other thing we've been doing is in the WMAs is, you know, 
putting parking areas. I don't know if you noticed, but most WMAs don't have parking areas. You just park on the road. So we've been creating parking, designated parking areas, and the DNR has been really good about, you know, budgeting for gravel, you know, putting the gravel in then, and we mow them the first few years, and they put the gravel down. We put signs up, say, park here, you know, et cetera. These types of things, people notice, and then they go, oh, you guys are doing something. You're making a difference. Yeah. Um, what goes into, because you put together a wonderful banquet last year. Um, I, how many people typically come to your banquet? How much time do you invest into putting that, making it happen? And then what do you get out of it? So the, the banquet is one of our main fundraising events in a year. But to do any banquet, it's about planning and execution. It's that simple. If you don't have a plan, you can't execute. Um, until I took over as president, we, the team before me really never had it written down. So somebody like you, <laughs> the, the team before you, had it all it, up it, top? And, and he's a great guy, but they never had it written down. Sure. So I took the time, because I was part of the, you know, of the board and the committee before I was president, to start writing it all down. And I wrote down everything you do to do a banquet. I mean, literally everything. And then I had a separate spreadsheet with all the budget items. So the thing is, you have to create a plan. You have to have a budget. And if you don't have a budget, you're going to go broke. I'll tell you, running any banquet, if you don't have a budget, you're going to go broke. And the biggest single what if unknown is food. Yeah. The meal. That's the biggest unknown. And we really got to the point where you say, if you don't pre-register and you don't buy your ticket in advance and you show up in the door and want to get in, we'll let you in, but you may not get a meal. But you're going to pay the same. <laughs> so, but we, you know, it's about planning and execution. And yeah. if you have a good plan, you can delegate then. What, what can, you know, when people go to a banquet, what, um, how many people come to your banquet? About 250. 250, Okay. What can you expect to take out of that, if you can share that with us? Money? Yeah, money-wise. Like, what can that many people raise for Habitat? Uh, okay, so we went into it, 250 people, we had about a $35,000 budget. Now, there's a lot of guns in there, a lot of stuff. Sure. Uh, we grossed about 85000 netted 50000 Where does that go? It, we basically, the nice part about Pheasants Forever is the only organization that the money we raise stays in the county. It stays in the chapter. It doesn't go off to some cloud in the sky like most of these places. I'll, I don't want to disparage any of my, my other peer groups because I belong to all of them as well. But when I give money to Ducks Unlimited, almost none of it stays here. It all goes... Louisiana, Missouri. Well, I understand there's a lot more ducks there, but there's ducks in Minnesota. Okay. I get, the nice part is we get to control the money and what we do with it. And your team. You and your team get to make we that decision. We get to do all of that. So we, things like the Adopt-A-WMA, um, we do a lot of uh, like youth-type events. We, we partner with Nicollet County Pheasants Forever. We put on one huge youth event for, you know, in the spring. Um, we donate to the 
trapped teams, those types of things. Yeah. Uh, you, you brought this book here. You're just going to change the subject a little bit. Red, White, and Everything Else, Wild Game Cooking at Its Best. Why the title and what's in this book? Well, Red, White, and Everything... First of all, when you're retired and have nothing better to do, <laughs> you write a cookbook. Okay. But, so red means red meat, white means white meat, and everything else. My wife does not really like wild game, and I know a lot of other people do not wild, like wild game. Part of the problem is... They don't know how to cook it. They don't know how to cook it. It's not prepared very well. Well, I was fortunate to travel like 25, 30 plus countries. I've tasted food from all over the world. So that is an eclectic version as well from France, Asia, you know, America, Canada, you know, you name it. There's recipes in there. Pheasant, turkeys, elk, buffalo, bison, duck, you name it. It's in there. Very cool. I'm assuming this could be found on Amazon? No, it's, it's at... It was published in northern Minnesota at uh, Northern uh, Wilds, but you can search it on Google, red, white, and everything else, and it'll come up. Okay. Okay. If you want it, if you want anybody here who wants it in the audience, wants to know about it, they can come see me. I'll tell them where to get it. Very cool. Uh, Tim, appreciate everything you're doing for the birds and uh, coming out tonight and sharing this book. I'm excited to take a look at it and find out a new recipe that I can add. Ron, you've got some experience writing books. Now is probably a good time to talk about it because Christmas is coming. You've got some stories from your latest book that you've written. It's a hell of a plug. Ah, I'm here. See, I'm, I'm here for you. Yeah. You came all the way out in the dark of night tonight. And yeah, I, well, I can do. I've already sold one right over there. He was going to buy one. <laughs> you can go on to Amazon and find my book. It's called Ron Shira's Minnesota Mostly True Tales of a Life Outdoors. And um, I wrote about the Moore County Fair and the little duckling that I won and the little blonde that was working the gambling concession had eyes for me when I was 12 years old. Oh, sure. And uh, I was back, in fact, I was pretty convinced that she did, which uh, kept me reaching into my pocket and throwing money out there. <laughs> Turns out she didn't, though, huh? I got the duckling. Oh! She was very happy. She held it up so everybody could see so that more people would step up and throw money to her. Anyway, anyway, okay. So it's a great, another great Christmas idea. What if if somebody listening right now is trying to think of a gift to give you for Christmas? What would you ask for? I got everything. <laughs> I know, I know. Okay, if you're buying uh, you a gift know, for some, uh, some things, you don't, uh, you know, you 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 probably don't buy a shotgun for somebody. You, uh, if if uh, a box of ammo might work for. If, if a pheasant hunter, maybe a, a vest would work. But, you know, some of those things like a vest and boots or whatever are kind of so personal, mm-hmm. you really you shouldn't be buying them. You know what's not personal? A boot dryer. A boot dryer, yeah. That's a good you gift. you got sweaty feet? Well, everybody that, you know, hunts long enough is going to step in water over your boots. Hand warmers. When you're I never in have. The, in the deer stand. Yeah, there you go. In the deer stand. Um, I... I believe Don't we have some we more got, questions. We've got out some there? questions over we've here. We got a bunch of loot Nicole, here. Yeah, come on. Did up you here. get a hat? Your buddy was supposed to get, bring a hat to you too. <laughs> He's useless. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. If you're an outdoor lover on the go, then odds are good that you have toys and equipment that you want to haul. Aluma Trailers, well, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa. They have models for nearly any and every hauling need, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say that Aluma trailers tow like a dream. Their trailers are constructed out of lightweight, strong, corrosion-resistant aluminum, 
and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumaklm.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. I love my dog, and like you, I always want to make sure that she has what she needs to stay healthy year-round and perform at her best in the field. That's why I feed Daisy Nutrisource high-performance dog food. Nutrisource dog food comes with their good-for-life system that includes four key ingredients that work together to support gut health, heart health, and the overall well-being of our dogs. I have complete confidence that my dog has all of the nutrition to excel in the field and make it through a rigorous hunting season. I've seen it firsthand, and she loves her food. Take it from me and my dog, Daisy. Nutrisource high-performance dog food can help your dog reach their full potential. Find the food that's right for your dog at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. Hunting season is here, and North Dakota is one of my favorite places to spend a fall day. That's because North Dakota is a bird hunting paradise. You can hunt both waterfowl and upland birds all in the same day, and North Dakota has approximately 700,000 acres of private land open to public walk-in hunting. This year, North Dakota has a population estimate of 3.4 million breeding ducks, which is 38% above the long-term average, and their prairie pothole region is smack dab in the middle of the central flyway. Their spring water index also came way up, over 600% from last year's drought. The habitat on the landscape looks great, and bird reports are strong throughout the state. With a little scouting, you just might find yourself in a field surrounded by wild flushing pheasants, sharp-tailed grouse, and Hungarian partridge. Plan a legendary bird hunt this fall in North Dakota at legendarynd.com. What are you drinking, ma'am? A stout. Okay. The, That's your, your only your eighth one, too, I think. Correct. Uh, eighth or tenth, maybe? I don't know. So your mom came to a show <laughs> two months ago, maybe? Our first one, when we were outside, when it was about 80 degrees warmer than it is right yeah, now. Yeah, you guys were out on the belt. Yeah, we had dogs yeah. out there, but she raved about your hunting skills, so I'm glad that you came back. You well, are a bird hunter. What's your name? I'm Nicole Paul. Okay. Um... Thank you for the legend. I don't know if it's true, but uh, I appreciate the raving. Um, no, I do. I love. I love hunting. Birds. How did you get into it, and why do why do you keep going back? That's a loaded question. I started. So my dad started. I first went to hunter safety when I could. What is that? Twelve, thirteen years old. I think you can do it at eleven. But maybe yeah. it's eleven. Yep. Yeah. So yep. I always went um, target shooting with my dad with like a little twenty-two or whatever. My dad, my brother, and I. Probably had airsoft wars in the house, which my mother did not appreciate. Still finding those BBs in the carpet when we go to pick up Good our childhood her. stuff. Um, but it just kind of developed from there. I was on the high school dance team, so I was not able to... I went to Hopkins High School, by the way. We're in Hopkins Your right now. Yep. My golden school. Um, but... Started in dance, I always wanted to do the trap team because we had one in Hopkins. And awesome. that was back, so I graduated 2011. That kind of really got started in the late 2000s. I was going to say, that would be, 2000s. yeah, right yeah. about, okay. And, um... So, but you didn't do it? I wasn't able to because I was busy with competitions, with dance. Okay. And it wasn't until my senior year that the coach, I knew him, he's like, okay, you do not compete. You're, it's your senior year. Let's do the trap team this spring. I was like, Absolutely. And I loved it because it honed in my skills for, for hunting. Yeah. I mean, big time. Because it's like my dad and I would go to Minnesota Horse and Hunt Club and shoot trap. But it's like I needed a coach to kind of like tell me what I was doing wrong. 
Ron, when did you get your daughters into trap shooting? Well, they both kind of like that. Yeah, uh, it's like you just kind of develop. Take them out, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, let them first. They walk behind you, and then pretty soon you give them a shotgun. But uh, Laura found uh, uh, trouble having a shotgun that fit her, and finally yeah. found one that did. Made a huge difference. Big time. Um, but I'm curious, <clears throat> are you aware of uh, the number of uh, organizations that are geared up to introduce women to hunting and have Big you participated time. in any of that? I participate in a lot of like social media, like women who hunt on Facebook, a lot okay. of that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, I've not personally been in like gone to banquets or anything for like that. Cause I would like to get more involved because that was a huge thing for me. I was a tomboy. I love doing quote unquote more like boy things, yeah. but it was still a woman's sport too. It's like, I was. I think it's more. Decent there's more at, women in in some of the yeah. shooting clubs and in high I was, schools. I was decent. I was not great because it was like really my first year trying, and I only yeah. did that. And then I got into duck hunting through um, guy I dated in high school, and it was awesome. And that really introduced me to duck hunting. I love waterfall hunting, and then just continued through that through college. Um, I'd go out by myself deer hunting, and I went to UW Lacrosse. I would wow. pack up my bag, go on the bluffs in Coon Valley, Wisconsin. You are a tomboy. Sweet. Yeah. Do you ever hang a deer it. up on the property at school? <laughs> no. Well, I brought a lot of ducks home, and yeah. I had roommates that were like, "That is so gross that you go hunting." And then I come home and I cook it for them, and I do know how to cook wild game because there is a thing. Well done. Can I've you, had can... really gross duck. Yep. And I've had really good duck. Same yep. with goose. Can you yep. can you field dress a deer by yourself? Yes, I can. I did this year. You know, you're the perfect woman. Uh, <laughs> I am. <Ron's> in love <laughs> right now. Do you want wow. to write a letter to my husband? Uh, yes. Oh. No, he know. He's a good man. Get rid he of knows. him. Get rid of him. <laughs> no. Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, you no. know, uh, my daughter Simone uh, uh, teaches other uh, ladies about hunting, right. introducing them. She has a, she's a great shot with a shotgun and also has her own black lab. So um, her name is Simone, and you might uh, keep track of that. But, uh, that would be good to know. It's, uh, you know, it's yeah. always great for somebody like you yeah. uh, to go with other women. Yes. You know? So that's cool. And that's what I would love to do. It's like I've got two golden retrievers now. My husband always hunted with golden retrievers. And so we have two field goldens that are oh, our oldest blue. He... Another story about pheasant hunting yeah. is every time we've got, we went on a South Dakota trip, very similar to your recent trip, where it's like... The ice bowl? Ice bowl, 10 feet, 10 feet of snow. We went in January. It was after oh. the first of the year. It was dumb, but we, needed, we just wanted to go. Go when you can go. <sighs> Those dogs got worked, and I was the, what, the guy at the end. What Blocker. Blocker, yeah. Well, it's the same thing. Like, the guys went over here. I was here. I'm like, what are we doing here? <laughs> if, once you're where you're supposed three, to be. Three birds. They were just roost. They didn't want to move when the wind's blowing and it's cold. If I you get go it. over there, they're going to go over here. Correct. If you go over here, they're going to go over there. That's just what they when do. When you were talking about their sense of, like, the, how they can hear is insane. But we have our oldest golden blue. He's five. Every time we've gone field hunting, whether it's a game farm or wild... He comes back with his own bird. When we're not shooting birds, he's like, he'll disappear for like five minutes and we're, it's not great. It's like, where is he? He comes back with a pheasant in his mouth. Mm-hmm. Like, you guys didn't do good enough. I'm getting my own bird. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. Good. Wow. good boy. Ron, yeah. I understand that you fell in love with a, a bird dog in South Dakota that your wife might be okay with you bringing home. Is there any truth to this? 
No, there's no truth to it. I don't know what. The, <laughs> the little field bred English cocker, George Lyle's oh, dog oh. that you hunted with. Well, they're, yeah, they're, they're lovely and uh, so lovable. Uh, and I, but I've hunted with them, uh, quail hunting in Texas on a flush episode, two English cockers. And they're uh, full of uh, fun. And this one that was out in South Dakota in all that ice storm and everything else, it's, it's, it's no bigger than the grass itself. It was, was a real trooper. Real trooper. It was a real trooper, and they just hunt hard. And uh, they have a lot of, you know, any. Everybody says, well, you know, you're a lab guy. I am a lab guy, but uh, I've also learned to. Uh, any good dog is is one that I like, because there's plenty of them that are, are not so good. But anyway. Well, my mom is sitting over there. I just noticed that she snuck in in the back. And oh, when, when you were on the last show, when we were sitting in Scott's uh, bird camp out there in western Minnesota, you mentioned that over the course of our time hunting together out there that you got lonely. And she sent me a message and said that it was sad to listen to that. And she's not the only one that has said that, that it was sad to hear you say that. And it brought tears into her eyes. And I know I'm not alone when I say this, but we're all wanting you to get a puppy, Ron. Uh, Could that be the puppy for you? I don't know. It may, it may happen down the road. And what Travis is talking about is, because um, I had ravens for so many years and hunted with them. I had labs before that. There were wonderful hunting dogs. And so now I've found myself the last uh, year or two uh, since the last raven died, uh, uh, no dog. And so I just said one day, as I'm out there with everybody, your dog, uh, Scott Franson has his dog, other people have their dogs, that I'm out there by myself uh, or walking to the grass, that uh, no dog in front of me. I told the camera guys, I said, don't follow me because if you want to see pheasants, go with the guys that have dogs. Mm -hmm. um, and I just said... Uh, once you've had a hunting companion, a canine companion like that, uh, and, that they're, and they're gone and they were good dogs, uh, it gets lonely. So I just said, it's lonely out here. And it is. I'm not crying about it. It's just a fact. It is lonely. So. What if I ask for forgiveness from Denise after putting a little puppy in the stocking for Christmas? Sir? You're going to have to add some money with that? <laughs> I think we can figure out some way to incorporate this into the show. Bring it to your house for potty training? Yes, <laughs> there's a good idea. Yes, yes. I don't have new carpet yet. I'll take there it for you a go. little bit. Well, there yeah. you go. And her dog's already bringing the birds back. You don't have to worry about missing anymore. We have anymore. a one-year-old puppy, so we have already, our carpet's ruined. Yeah. There you go. Well, thank you so much for thank coming out so tonight. Much. We appreciate it. Do we have any questions here? We're about ready. I'm getting the signal here that we're about ready to wrap this up. Do we have Absolute. any last questions? Here, please take one of these new flush hats. I will tell you, you that we have... Else out? Yeah, whatever else you want. We've got buffs. We've got some shirts. Um, I, do, I did talk to Scott today, and he said he, he's got an order of some different flush blaze orange hats that are coming in and I think uh, like a quarter zip uh, shirt as well. This gentleman has a question. Come on in. It looks like we got two here. Oh, all right. I don't know if it's a question. I just want to thank my daughter and my best hunting companion for coming out with me tonight. And awesome. We've awesome. Been on many What's her name? Alex. Alexandra. So. Hi, Alexandra. Thanks for coming out tonight. And your name? 
Dan Larson. Dan. Yeah, we've been on many ventures from the coast of Maine to blizzards in Montana, and she's always willing to go on my crazy adventures. Oh, I that's love great. That. So, I love that's that. great. I just want to thank you for coming with, and I'll make her pick out a prize. Oh, that's <laughs> wonderful. Thank you for going hunting with your dad. I have to say, the coldest thing we've only ever done was sea duck in Maine. Oh, yeah. That was a different, really? different breed of ducking I've, duck hunting I've done before. Were so. you in a layout boat? Yeah. Well, how big was that motor? I don't even remember. Yeah. And it was the craziest thing. We'd sit there. Um, he had his dog out, a lot of the decoys out, and you'd be sitting there. We'd say, There's something diving in outside the decoys. And he goes, oh, there's just the seals. They do that all the time. So going from the Midwest to something like that was kind of crazy. Wow. So Did you, Have you hunted this year? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We've been out plenty of times. Actually, a couple weeks ago, we just got back from Thompson, South Dakota. Yep. And oh, who yeah. hits, who's a better shot, you or your dad? Uh, you can of, say he doesn't have the mic right been, now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a toss he's up. been shooting trap better more than I have this year. So, <laughs> but you hit your fair bird, your fair share of birds. We did. We we cleared out a lot of snows and some divers this year, so it was pretty good. Awesome. Oh, good yeah. for you. Good yeah. for well, you. Thank you so much. Uh, make sure you grab one of these items here. You got some shirts to choose from, some buffs. We thank really you. appreciate everybody coming out tonight. It's really fun to meet people that are listening. Oh, yeah, come on up. Yep, you just, oh, I was just about to wrap it up, but now you come. Got to put the hat on. What's that? Late night, early morning. Yeah. Great Na- book, by the, way, by the way, Ron. I'm sorry, say Your, that again? Great book. Oh, thank you. What he was the name of the book? Uh, your last one you wrote, uh, yes, Minnesota Tales and Stories. Ron Cheris, Minnesota, Mostly True Tales of a Life Outdoors, available on Amazon.com. <laughs> yes. Thank you very much. He likes to hear people say it. That's why he pretends he doesn't hear it, so you have to repeat it louder, and it just fills him up. No, that's great. Some of them seem a little sketchy, but I, I take your word on it. <laughs> Some of the stories he tells is Mostly enough. true. Yeah. Yes, mostly. Yeah. It depends who you ask. So here's my question for you two both. Since okay. both, well, you had Raven. Yes. And you have... Daisy. Daisy. What was the reasoning behind picking the dogs you have currently or had? Like, what was the reason to the madness, right? I mean, was there, did did somebody push you that way or did you see a lot of things you liked with said dog? So I'll go first here. Um, Obviously very fortunate to hunt with a lot of different people and a lot of different dog breeds in different terrains too. Uh, All of those are factors that play into it. I've seen some great, big running dogs, some pointing breeds that really get out there and cover ground. They're very well trained. And I thought to myself, I want a dog that goes out and finds the birds. And I hunt in North Dakota a lot. I don't always want to rock, walk out 500 yards to the rock pile in the middle of the field, but I can point to my dog to go out there and snip it and find out if there's a bird there. Now I know if I can go or not. Anyway, my friend Tyler Webster lives in Northwest North Dakota. He has two amazing dogs, amazing dogs. And I had the distinct pleasure of hunting behind both of them. And then I come to find out that they, one hunting trip didn't get locked up like he thought, and they had an oops litter. And so I thought, two amazing dogs come together. What are they going to make? An amazing puppy. And I didn't know what I was getting myself into at the time, but she's everything that I could have ever wanted now that I've pulled her in, reined her in a little bit. Uh, She's really coming to her own this year. But I think it's experiencing what that dog's potential could be, seeing it, um, but also knowing that I like to hunt a variety of terrains and birds, and she's able to do all those things. I think what a lot of people need to 
look at when they go to pick out a dog is where do you hunt, what are you hunting for, and then determine the kind of dog you want. So that's what I took into consideration. Ron? Well, when I first heard um, Travis got a pointer, I said to him, <laughs> what are you thinking? Yes. You're living in Minnesota. There were some Minnesota. curse words Listen, in there, too. Mike got the floor here now. <laughs> You're living in Minnesota, land of duck hunting, grouse, pheasants, etc., and you get a pointer that uh, wants to run from here to South Dakota. Uh, I go, what are you thinking? But here's what, here's what, uh, there are pointer people and there are flushing people. I got started with a Cocker Spaniel when I was a kid. It was the first birdie dog I ever had. And uh, then uh, after that, I got to college, I got a, Cocker, uh, a Golden Retriever. Wonderful dog named Taffy, but uh, then I got interested in field trials. So I took my golden retriever to the field trials, and she, she did okay, but she could not compete with those labs. They were flashier, faster, uh, just, just more pleasing to a judge's eye, I put it that way. So then, of course, I had to get a, a black lab. I, a guy basically sold me one that was flat-footed, but it was a retrieving fool. <laughs> and um, I started doing field trials. Anyway, that started my uh, lab uh, affinity. I did try over the years, as I wrote about uh, training and labs, etc. but I, I really need to try a Brittany. So I tried a Brittany once. Uh, it was a bad experience for me. I found out my personality was more for a lab. I, I really didn't know anything about training Brittany's. And... Um, uh, so that, that my biggest problem was convincing my two young daughters, Simone and Laura, who were young at that time, that uh, the, the, my Brittany was going to another nice home. Mm. Not easy. Um, and then I tried uh, Chesapeake Bay. And um, a wonderful dog. It wasn't Bertie at all. I gave him to my brother, who then moved to South Dakota, and that dog turned out to be Bertie as all get out. <laughs> um, and then I had people, because of... My notoriety, people wanted to give me puppies. And uh, of course, so would say no, but then they'd ship it or something. And most of those. <laughs> you got a dog shipped to you after yeah, saying from no? From Montana. Uh, that, was a, that dog, if it came to f pigeons, it would run the other way. Um, uh, anyway, so I became full fledged lab. But I to add what Travis said, if you're looking for a puppy, uh, yeah, kind of figure out what you like and how you hunt. But the main thing is to look at the parents of the puppy. Because if, that, if the parents are both hunting dogs, have been trained to hunt, are good hunting, then chances are, it's a roll of the dice, but chances are your puppy will have a lot of those same things. Uh, if, if you go to your neighbor has a backyard litter of puppies and aren't they cute, we all fall in love with them, you grab one and, and you'll find out later the mother has never been hunting in her life and she is afraid of guns. So there you go. And do you have a dog, sir? Yeah, two. Two golden, well, three technically. We, I hunt with two golden retrievers. How do you mean three technically? Well, Augie, Augie was a freebie. So I ended up, so I ended up with Beamer from uh, Silver Lake Hasty area. He's nine. Okay. And he got to the eight-year age, and I'm like, I talked to the wife. I had to do a little begging. And, uh, That's unusual. We ended up, <laughs> uh, you got to ask the boss, you know. <laughs> That's normal. Uh, 
regardless of what anyone says, we know who the boss is. And yes. The boss okayed the second dog, so then I wanted, I wanted a pick on a male. I found a, a litter out of Wapiton, North Dakota. I wanted a pick on the male. I had second pick. They only had one male. Didn't work out. So then I had third pick on a female. Great. Ginger is her name. Phenomenal dog. She'll be two here on Valentine's Day. She's done some South Dakota hunts and done very well. And All of a sudden, we're out and training and doing our thing here right before season. Before they even, you know, what, were they eight months old? You know, six months old, whatever they were. All of a sudden, Rhonda calls me and is like, hey, you know anybody looking for another golden? I have her brother, the only boy out of the litter. The couple that had purchased him kind of returned him. Hmm. They were older. It was, it was just too much, right? A puppy's a puppy. They want to run. They want to play. They want to do a lot of things that... They weren't ready for it. Yeah. If, it, it's just a lot of work. It's everybody, like you said, they, they're cute, cuddly, but then all of a sudden now they're terrorizing things, and I don't got time for that. And You so do, though. We do. We, I, live, I live down in... Up in Watkins area, we have some land, and once again, had to talk to the boss. <laughs> it's like going to the bank for a loan, you know? You're like, God, should I go in for this again? <laughs> well, if they'll okay it, probably, and I can make a payment on it. And all of a sudden, I talked to Ron. I'm like, well, what do you like? What do we need to do? And she's like, you, you know, I, I keep in great touch with her right now, and she's been a great person out there in Wapiton, North Dakota. You can have them. So I ended up with three, but... There's two that are sturdy hunters. Beamer and Ginger are phenomenal hunters. We'll be out next weekend in South Dakota doing our run out by Watertown, and should be a good time. Awesome. From, from, from what I've heard, it's, it's going to be a good yeah, time. Yeah, so. quite a few people here can tell you some stories as well. We, uh, yeah, a couple guys. We, we, we appreciate you coming out tonight. Yeah. Please grab any of these items. Any last questions or thoughts before we wrap this up? No, definitely. Uh, good luck to everybody hunting. There's still some some positive parts of the season left and luckily uh, western minnesota we didn't get any of that snow yeah. so yeah. take advantage of this because it's december as of what tomorrow and very little snow one month left the season goes quick the, yeah it uh, goes listener quick. uh sent the question why do you go out and do it i say i go when i can go and i can't i can't choose the weather i like to go through harsh conditions for some reason i feel like i really earn something when i do well and if i don't oh well i'll, I'll get them next time ron last question for you do you have a favorite moment with any of your dogs that you can think of right now? Just off the top of your head. A moment, a story that stands out to you that you just hold on to. I have many moments. I'm sure you do. But is there one that you can share, our last story of the night? Well, Raven the Third was just a young, uh, was a puppy, uh, four, five, six months old. And I was in North Dakota with her mother and, and, and Raven the Third, Raven the Second. I hunted Raven the second all day. There were other dogs, so I learned a long time ago uh, that uh, a young pup like that, it's better to go out just you and that puppy. Don't have a whole bunch of other people, other dogs, etc. get the dog. So at the end of the day, almost the end of the day, uh, we were done hunting, so I grabbed Raven the third. I still haven't shot my limit, so, um, and Raven the third and I, we went out in some grass there and she was hunting. She'd been trained, you know, and a uh, rooster went up, and I shot it, and when it went down, went down sideways, and I knew it was just crippled. I kicked myself, but we went over there where the bird fell, so did Raven the Third. She went over there. It wasn't there. I knew it wasn't there. I'm just kicking myself, and I 
just kind of standing there feeling sorry for myself, etc. And Raven the Third started putting her nose to the ground. And she started sniffing a trail. I didn't know what she was doing, but she, she was pretty sure she knew what she was doing. And she got out there 30, 40, 50 yards and jumped that bird. She had trailed it all that way and grabbed it and brought it back. And uh, from that time on, she trailed pheasants all the time. But that was a memorable moment. And you get memorable moments when it's just you and your dog. Um, so sometimes that's the way to go, just you and your dog. Leave everybody else at home. And uh, it's a bonding deal. And you really get to uh, become a team. It's really cool. It is. Yeah, there's a, that, that partnership that the two of you then form, which is definitely interesting in, in your line of work and what I do too. When we go out, like I said, there was four dogs in the field and you, things change a little bit. But when you get your dog out there, one-on-one -on -one like that, and you go for a walk, you get to see some pretty cool things that that, that creature can do in the field. And when you're, the, when you're part of it, you know, I've been joking about this last couple of weeks, Ron. I know you've heard all of my podcasts lately. I know you listen to everyone. Yes, this one's a long up. one, too. Everybody, when you interview people, they always say what? It's about the dog. It's sure. about the dog. That's what brings them up. But I tell people, you're full of it. It's about the whole experience, everything that goes into it. You have to make the shot. You have to put yourself in position to make the shot. As part of the team that you and your dog are out in the field, you get to watch it. You got to be there together. If it was just about the dog, you could go for a walk anywhere. But pulling the trigger and making that all come together and bringing it back, it's the whole experience. And that's why I think hunting is so wonderful. Very well said. Oh, okay. We'll wrap it up right there. Thank you all for coming out tonight. We really appreciate you coming out on such a cold winter night. Still a month left of the hunting season here in Minnesota and, hey, in South Dakota. It goes to the end of January now. Huh? Two months. I know. Yes, I know. I know. And hunting seasons are open all around the country right now. Ron, thank you. Drive safely home, everybody. We'll see you next week on another episode of the Flush Podcast. Nice job.